that it's not sufficient for marketers focused on externally promoting a brand. That's necessary, but it's really not sufficient. You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with John Rougie from SkyFi. How are you today, John? Doing great, Aurélien. How are you? I am very, very good. We're suffering of what we would call a heat wave at the moment in the UK, but I'm blessed enough to be in an air-conditioned room, which is fantastic. So today we're we're here with you, John, to speak about internal evangelism as part of your branding strategy. But before we go into the the, the details of it and the the details of the idea behind it, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself as well as SkyFi, the the company that you represent? Yeah, I'm happy to. So I'm the VP of Marketing at SkyFi, and I'm currently based in Lexington, Kentucky. Among other things, I'm the uh, proud father of four girls. But look, at SkyFi, we were a software and services company uh, that helps uh, physical venues, uh, places like shopping centers, airports, universities, uh, retailers. We help them understand who their visitors are and how they behave. And then we give them some tools to engage with those same visitors on uh, multiple channels based on visitor profile and visitor movement. So my role at, at SkyFi is really focused on two things uh, right now. Um, first of all, you know, SkyFi was a company that was founded in Australia about 2012. So the majority of our business is, is based in APAC and, and other parts of the world. We have offices in UK, South Africa, Brazil as well. But our, our focus you know, this year and going forward is shifting a lot of our time and resources to, towards the North American market. So a big part of my job is helping us build a presence here build some core relationships and get some initial customers off the ground. So we have a, a critical mass of a business here. And then I think secondly, you know, my role is really focused around rebuilding our, our brand. We've done a great job in, of investing in the products and our engineering over the last several years, but we've gotten to a point where we really need to kind of shore up our messaging and come up with a much clearer position in the marketplace. So I've been working on kind of an internal project for the last few months. That's going to take us through most of the remainder of this year just to really revise and, and kind of revitalize our brand. So again, we've, we've got a much clearer and succinct and consistent message with the people that we're trying to do business with. Good. Well, some, some, some big missions and big job coming, uh, coming ahead of you, which is, which, is, which is exciting. So the topic that we want to, to talk about today, as I already mentioned, is, is internal evangelism as part of your branding strategy. Recently, you published an article in Forbes where you spoke about the internal evangelism and, and, and the fact that it's often overlooked by, by, by marketeers. Can you please share with our audience the concept of internal evangelism and why it's more impor- important than ever? Yeah, happy to. So the idea behind internal evangelism is, is pretty simple. It's just really the idea that it's not sufficient for marketers focused on externally promoting a brand. That's necessary, but it's really not sufficient to, to grow a company or I, more accurately to reach the potential uh, growth that your company should be able to reach. So let me just explain that a little bit further. You know, when you're marketing a company externally, you know, this is true for both B2C and, and B2B, but a big part of your message and, and one of the core reasons for why people buy is based on your values and, and the vision for where your company is headed. You know, it's, it's not enough to just compete on you know, speeds and feeds and, and features and benefits, those are important. But when you're looking to do business with somebody long-term, 
you're just as interested in, in where they're heading and, and who they are. And I think that's just that's becoming especially prevalent in the B2B space because you know we're a lot of us are oversold to and we're over kind of overmarketed to in many ways. And I think we just start to crave more kind of human and authentic connections with the people we do business with. So a lot of that goes back to the talk that you know, Simon Sinek did a few years ago about people not so much buying what you do, but but why you do it. So the issue is if you promote your brand solely externally and fail to kind of evangelize that same vision and the same values internally, is that if your customers start to see that your team is acting inconsistently with uh, the way that your brand's presented itself externally, then they're really just not going to want to do business with you, or they'll, they'll take their business with, with someone else. They'll come across as inauthentic, and, and really people just don't want to do business with, with someone who's inauthentic. So really what I'm trying to get at is, as a marketer, your job is to continue to focus on, of course, the external promotion of your brand. That doesn't go anywhere. But along with that, I think especially in the B2B space, your job really has to include, in many cases, an equal focus on espousing and promoting those brands or, or sort of the brand vision and those brand values with, with your team, your employees, but also your, your partners as well. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So we, as an organization at Operatics, we have most of our people, actually probably 99% of the people that work for us have a client-facing role. And and we want to make sure that they represent the brand, they represent what we do correctly, you know. So it's 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 something that we 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 try to do. But it's uh, I guess it's kind of leading me to the next question, which is and based on what you say, that the most thoughtful and impactful external promotion effort are great, but won't maybe have a lasting effort on your customers or, or on your brand image. So how can you make sure that your team is reflecting positively the value of your company? What what are the ways you suggest to do so? Yeah, sure. So it, look, it's a great question and there's no perfect answer. There's not a silver bullet that just you know allows your your internal team to take on those values and and ensure that that's going to be the case forever. But you know there's some things that you know I've seen others do and, and some things that I've you know, tried myself that that help you get there. So I think really fun, fundamentally the first thing to recognize is as marketers, you can't work in a bubble. And you know that's something I've been guilty of myself, you know, in previous roles. I think I tended to focus just on the, the pure aspect of marketing, that external promotion, not enough on the, the internal piece. So it really starts with there. It's just if you're a marketer or if you, you know, work with marketing, it's understanding and recognizing that your role needs to be something broader. I think if you start there, things will, will stem from that naturally. I think the second thing is leadership involvement is really key. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in some organizations, marketing sits right up there on the leadership board or, or the, the CEO himself or herself has a marketing background. But in other companies, marketing takes more of a subordinate role. So in, e- in either case, though, you know, the idea of a company's vision and, and its values, they need to be something that is discussed and, and bought into at the leadership level. Yep. And so that's something that I worked really hard on and continue to work really hard on with SkyFi, thankfully. You know, our CEO and our leadership team were extremely supportive of the idea of, of really shoring up our, our vision and our values. And we've been having a lot of great discussions internally about what those mean and, and how those will affect the future direction of the company. I think okay. if you don't do that, then marketing ends up working in isolation. And you know, the, maybe the marketing team or the, the head of marketing might feel really good about it, but you know, those efforts don't really extend beyond those, those marketing roles. I would say you know, in some companies, you know, HR is more of a... Um, uh, independent function. Uh, obviously, smaller companies, HR is sometimes blended into other departments. But I think the other piece is, you know, recognizing that 
while on the surface they might seem like completely disparate ends of the spectrum, and in many ways they need to, to speak to each other, mm-hmm. especially when it comes down to hiring. You know, I don't know for you, really, and what you know how you go through your own hiring process, but I know for me, obviously, competency is is something that you have to look at. But you know, character and values, I think, are, are really even more important. Yeah, no, so that, if, that, if that's you can, key for us. That's key for us. I mean, we we often say to people when they come here, look, we're not. If you're just looking for a job, please go straight away. If you want to discuss a career, it's a two-way decision. You know, it's it's got to be a decision for us to get you on board, but it's also a decision for you to come on board. So if you don't share the value, if you don't understand the value, if you don't believe in the value, it will never work. So we, we're actually quite big very early on. And I'm glad you, you, you bring that in your response because I guess that's what, that's what I, was, I was expecting in a way to hear. But I think it's very important that from the very first conversation, even from the, the potentially the job ad, you are very clear about what you are looking for. For us, particularly, we are not in the business of, you know, recruiting PhDs or MBAs or people who've done business degrees or whatever. You know, we, we, we're a bit more of, a, we, we've got a flexible type of background approach to our recruitment process. So really, the value is key because if people don't believe in the value and you can't really, you know, evaluate them based on what they've done in the past, because that may not be relevant to what we do, they've got to at least stick with the value because if they don't believe in the value, it's going to be a very short short, short, short work experience with us and probably won't go, won't go any far. So yeah, I, I get your point and I, it's very important in our recruitment process. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'll reference something you mentioned earlier about customer-facing and non-customer-facing roles. You know, in a, in a way, you could almost make an argument that almost any role is customer-facing to a degree. It may not be directly, but I'll, I'll use a very maybe obvious and probably overused example, but it's, it's fitting here because it'll illustrate our point. You take a role like accountants, that's probably one of the least customer-facing roles out there, at least in terms of how you would traditionally look at that. But if you, you know, take a classic example like Enron, you know, whatever values they had, if, if they had any at all, you know, they were certainly reflected in, in the accounting department, in the way that they did their books. And so it, I would, I would, the reason I'm mentioning that example is it's not just the salespeople and the customer service people who need to understand the company's vision and the values. Really, anyone who makes a decision on the on behalf of the company, whether that's doing your accounting, whether it's you know determining who you you know build a partnership with, whether it's determining your your privacy policy, those affect the customer at some point. And so, really, we should all think our, of ourselves as as having customer facing roles or maybe cus- customer influencing roles to a degree, because we're all making decisions on the behalf of the company. And if we're not making those decisions with the values and, and the vision of our company in mind, then we're going to go off track. So. You know, in a benign example, you're just going to, you know, create some inconsistencies in your message and that's just confusing to people and it makes it harder for you to sell. But if you take that too far, then you end up, you know, with people, you know, taking maybe unethical or malicious actions, which is a different problem in and of itself. But I think you can probably see where I'm headed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think you got you got a great example. I mean, not so long ago, and I won't mention any name on that one, but I was chased for paying invoices. The invoices were actually incorrect. But I had an, an account payable person or, or someone in the account department was basically chasing. And I don't know if he was an internal or an external person to that company, to be honest with you. But the way they were going about it was was not really what I was expecting. You know, I think they were just emailing for too many people. They were very aggressive about the way they were going about it. There was no explanation. It was really short response. And, and 
you just kind of consider, should I do business with that company? Because quite frankly, I've got an issue with the invoice I received and nobody's talking to me about it, but just, just telling me you've got to pay it. And I, w- I would rather have someone that talk to me and even make me feel that it's, it's the correct thing. You know, but I don't know if you know what I mean. It's just sometimes the, the, the impact that that person had on my perception of the, the, the business that I was working with, it's pretty bad. Because I kind of change my way of thinking about that business and maybe I keep my eyes open. And the next time that I will meet my account manager in that business, I'll probably be a little bit more close, close, I mean, you know, not not as open with that person as I may have been if I was treated in a different way. I think it's right. Every single part of the business should do it. And, you know, we truly tend to do training with our guys about that, particularly when we've got people going to events we work in sales. So there is lots of events where people will have drinks after the events, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to make sure that, you know, our team is representing us in a very professional way. You know, these sort of events can go a little bit out of hand sometimes and people who are used to it may have a drink too many and it's okay because they are senior. But when you are the provider, right. you've got to be careful. So we actually brief our guys before every single event to make sure that they don't get out of line, if you will. But but I think it's important because it may sound simple but i think it's you are representing a company you may be out of working hours but you are still representing our brand and our brand doesn't do that so if you want to have fun just go five miles away <laughs> from the place where the party is at and do whatever you want no problem but right. while you are representing us make sure that you are representing us professionally and we take those steps so that's 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 interesting it helps me to kind of move on to the next question because obviously we, we spoke about the theory of and, and I completely agree with you by the way. I think it, it's a very interesting concept and, and definitely something that we do at Operatics and, and I think that more business should do. But do you have any practical example of internal evangelism that has been working or you've seen like very successful? And and maybe some other example where you've seen it maybe not failing but being less successful. Yeah, sure. Well, if you don't mind, I, I do want to speak to that example you mentioned about sort of the cultural events, because you, you were asking me earlier about you know some tactics and approaches to make that successful, and I did want to hit on one more, and I think it's really important, and then I'll, and I'll come back to your question if that's okay. I, I think the last thing I wanted to mention was that you really have to lead by example, and, and this will this will kind of lead into the specific example I'll share in a moment. But you know, I think the temptation is for marketers is to kind of write down these values, these vision, and maybe some guidelines on how to talk about the business. And you've got it in a, in a nice document, but that's really not going to be sufficient to, to drive those values internally. You know, I, I hate to say it, but you know, if you have 100 employees, how many of those 100 are going to actually read the style guide or refer to it regularly? Maybe they'll read it once during the orientation, but they're not going to come back to it time and time again. At least most of them won't. So what really has to happen is you have to lead by example. You have to show other people on your team what it, what it looks like to live out those values and to kind of to move that vision forward in a very kind of pu- public way. That's um, true. So I think that's, that's probably the most important thing is just giving those concrete examples, leading by example, showing your team that this is what it looks like. You know, it's, it's, um, we encourage it. We encourage you to, to act in this way. And then I think the, the rest kind of follows suit. So again, it's not, it's not just having a nice document that kind of sits there on your desk or on your internal website, but it's just living those, those ideas out through actions. Okay. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll come back to your, your, your question was um, just some examples of companies that have done that well. So I just want to mention two that I think are, are probably relevant for me in the B2B space at the moment. And so those, those two companies are going to be Drift and, and Terminus. And the reason I'll mention these two is... 
I think for both of them to a degree, you know, I haven't read this in their internal branding documents, but the idea of kind of a human connection, a personal connection, and an authentic brand seem to be very core to both of those businesses. You know, Drift, they're selling to a broad range of customers. They even have a free product. So you could argue that the SMB or the freelancer market is something they're going towards. Terminus is more of an uh, enterprise uh, company. But in both cases, you know, with, with Drift, you've got their, their head of marketing, Dave Gerhardt. He's very you know, public in talking about the company. He's very, he's kind of off the cuff. I think his, his personality lends itself to coming across that way, to acting that way. But he's always talking about the brand. He's talking about, you know, new things they've developed for their customers. You know, it's not always perfectly polished. It's not always, there's not always a high production value, but you get the sense that, you know, for Drift, they're all about, they have this idea of conversational marketing. That's kind of their, their stick. And so, you know, Dave himself, and then to a degree, their, their CEO, Dave Cancel, is, is making these, these conversations with people through their podcasts, through their LinkedIn videos, et cetera. And then you also see, you know, other people on their team, people, people I've not met before, but you'll see other people in, in sales and marketing making videos themselves, talking about the product, talking to each other. And you've just seen that idea of, it, of these, having these conversations and the value of, of those conversations. You'll see that spread through the organization, which is, which is really great to see. And then I'll mention Terminus, you know, Sangram, their CEO, he's kind of doing this something similar in a way. And he's in that his whole idea is account-based marketing and you know, instead of just, you know, spamming people or prospecting people, hunting them down, in some ways, just kind of like Drift, it's they're, they're focused on building more authentic connections with people. So he's done a great job in the way he's talked about the company. He's always talking to other people on, on LinkedIn and in comments, videos, uh, things of that nature. So that's, that's probably a great example of, of living by example is just yeah. being very outward and very kind of public in the, the personality of his brand and the values that his brand stands for. Okay. And have you seen any company doing a bad job at it? It's easy to pick on, on, on the bad guys. So look, I'll just mention, I mean, I could mention a couple just because they're in, in the public sphere already and it's, it's not going to be new news to anyone. I, I'm not going to pick on someone that's, that's not already been lambasted publicly. But, you know, Uber is probably the, the example oh, yeah. that comes to mind for me oh, first. Uh, American Apparel as well was another one that I've, I've heard about uh, recently in terms of uh, issues similar to that. But yeah. Yeah. So I think in their case, it wasn't so much the fact that their external brand wasn't reconciled with the internal culture. I'm not sure that they had much of a kind of a value system to begin with. I think a lot of, they've done a great job of growing the company and don't get me wrong. They, they've got some very smart and talented people there. They've done a great job on kind of the performance, the growth side of marketing. You can't really argue with that. But when you look at some of the things that they've kind of gotten slapped on the wrist for, they had, I think Grayball was one of the tactics. I, I don't remember the specifics, but it was the idea of kind of collecting data on people without their, their consent or just maybe using that in, in, in ways that were not entirely above board. Obviously, you have some of the sexual harassment cases that, that came about. And I think it's really unfortunate because you have a very kind of innovative and disruptive company that's... Absolutely, um, yeah. What a lot of, yeah, yeah. And so I think if they had kind of redefined their marketing to include not just the growth aspect, but you know the brand aspect of their company, then they may have avoided some of those issues altogether. To that point, it's also the probably the most viral campaign that could have existed. Imagine if all the drivers, I mean, how many drivers, when you take Uber, actually complain about working for Uber because, so, or may not complain, but don't really give you a, you wouldn't want them to tell you, I'm really happy working for Uber. This is a great company. They give me an opportunity. 
how many Uber do you take a week? I mean, I take a few and I would, it would be the best way to actually portray the company and make everybody feel that Uber is the best company ever. And I think maybe I had that feel at the beginning when Uber was, was really new. But over the years, I think it just got a little bit, I think there was issues in, with drivers in, in, in India or in some other places. And it all become a little bit confusing and, and almost make them look as a cheap brand. From my perspective, I'm, I'm talking about my own opinion here. But I think what an opportunity they had because the reach that they have with, with everybody in the market, the, the reach that they had with their, their, their customer is, is incredible. You actually spend 10, 15 minutes with someone walking in the company in a car probably once or twice a week. So it's yeah. a perfect opportunity to discuss with someone. And yeah, to, to the point that you formulated before, if, if those guys were really you know, in that reflecting positively on the value of, of Uber, wow, the impact would have been could have been fantastic. That's right. And, and, and you're right. I, I, you know, a few years ago, when you took an Uber, you would just see the Uber sticker on the windshield. And now what you see is, you know, at least in my experience, is there's the Uber sticker and then there's a Lyft sticker right next to it. Yeah. And when I talk to the, the Uber drivers, you know, they don't, they don't feel uh, all that closely aligned with the company itself, at least you know, with, with my experience. They're more opportunistic in, in terms of, and I'm not faulting them for this, I would do the exact same thing. But what I've been told is, They'll, you know, one week Uber will run a special for the drivers where there's kind of a bonus rate for that period of time. And the next week, you know, Lyft counters it with another, you know, special or, or bonus that, you know, incentivizes the drivers to work for them. And so the drivers go back and forth. And then, you know, Uber and Lyft, in, in a way, they're competing on, on price, not price to the customer, but, you know, the, the rates that they paid, pay the drivers. And like you said, Rillian, it's, it's, Unfortunately, because Uber did have the opportunity to create a stronger bond with the drivers and really bring them on as, as part of the company culture. But there's more of a, a rift where the drivers have distanced themselves from you know, Uber corporate in a way. And uh, you know, as a result, they have less loyalty to them as a driver. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great, great example, actually, I think you took, because I think it will speak to everyone because, you know, we, we've all been... I mean, there may be a few people that will listen to this podcast that have never took a Uber in their life, but I think for the most part of us, we we'll probably spend a few uh, a few dollars or pounds or euros in in or with an Uber. So that, that makes perfect sense. Okay, well, thank you very much for that and and for your insight and for sharing all all those uh, best practices and ideas with us today, John. I'm sure that some people in our audience will want to reach out to you and, and they may want to you know, discuss some of the takeaway. They may want to have a conversation with you, pick your brain. So what is the best way for our listener to get in touch with you, John? Sure. Well, I'm assuming you'll put my, you know, some of these links in, in the show notes. Absolutely. Like, like, like you, uh, my, my last name isn't one that you'd uh, be able to spell just by hearing it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't so, pronounce it, but you know, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's, that's about it. Well, your French background certainly gave you the edge in pronouncing it. But the best way to reach me is, is either on email, which is john.ruji at skyfi.com, or you can also reach me on LinkedIn. I'm usually pretty active there as well. Okay. Well, that sounds perfect. Well, again, thank you very much for your time today, John. Really appreciate your time, the insight that you provided today. The conversation was really interesting. So, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, see you back again soon participating in the next podcast. My pleasure, Aurelia. Thanks for having me on the show. It was uh, great being with you. Perfect. Thank you very much, John. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. 
While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.